Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Hey, friends, thanks for tuning in today. If you're listening in real time or even looking back over the pattern of episodes I produce, you may have noticed that they've been a little less regular lately. When I started podcasting, we were just realizing what it meant to live in a worldwide pandemic. And at that time, I already worked from home and had two fairly self-sufficient teenage boys. Fast forward 18 months, and our world, including my personal world, has drastically shifted. And the biggest change for us has been obeying the call to become a foster family. Now, at the time of this podcast that I'm recording right now, we have three additional children with us, ages six, seven, and nine. And we knew going into this that our lives would radically change. And one of those changes is that I have a lot less time to produce my podcast. Now, I still enjoy this very much and I want to continue, but my episodes might not drop on that weekly basis I had originally set as a personal goal. The good news is God's word doesn't change and I plan to study it my whole life. So even if I'm not putting a weekly show out, Hopefully, you're still engaging in his word in the meantime. I'm trying to make it a priority every single day, despite the demands on my time and attention. And if you think of us, pray for our family and for these bonus kids, as we like to put it, as we seek to share the love of Christ with them, along with our family. Okay, so in our last episode, we covered Noah's entrance into the ark. He, his wife, his sons, and his daughters-in-law had all entered the ark along with several thousand pairs of animals. And in chapter 7, verse 17, we read that God shut them in and the rains came. Now, the writer of Genesis gives us some very specific information about the rains and the length of time of various things that happened. Today, I'm going to focus on the numbers that are repeated and emphasized throughout the story of the flood. We may not read every verse of chapter 8 together, to save on time, but I'd like to encourage you to really take the time to read through these verses on your own and to envision what it might have been like for the humans on this boat. Think about the sights, the smells, the feeling of living on a huge boat with thousands of animals for months on end, as you will read about in these verses. So with those things in mind, Let's start with the first number we encounter. Chapter 7, verse 17 tells us that the rain continued for 40 days. Now, 40 is an important number used throughout the Bible. It's actually often used in times of trial or judgment. I'll give you some examples. Uh, when Jonah was sent to preach to Nineveh, they had 40 days to repent and turn from their wicked ways, or God would wipe them from the face of the earth. The nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they could enter the promised land. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and then was tempted by Satan himself. And there are a few other examples in the Bible, but can you see that 40 has an importance to it? 
Can you imagine it raining for 40 solid days? I mean, can you even imagine fasting for 40 days or imagine being a nomadic wanderer for 40 years in a desert? It's a long period of time of testing and of difficulty. And during these 40 days, the rest of chapter 7 makes it very clear that every living thing outside the ark died. There's a repetitive nature to these verses that emphasizes that every living creature was wiped out from the face of the earth. You may be aware that some people think the flood was localized and not a cataclysmic worldwide event. But these verses make it very clear that indeed it was worldwide. Nothing survived. Now, let's look at the next important number. The last verse in chapter 7 says, And the waters were mighty over the earth 150 days. So it rains for 40 days, and then the waters covered the earth for 150 days. Now, if there are about 30 days in a month, that's five months of floating in a boat with no land in sight. There isn't a big point to make right now about 150 and what it symbolizes or means, but I'm going to come back to that number in a few minutes and explain how it ties in with what's going on in this chapter. For now, consider that it rained for 40 days, so slightly over a month, and then water was covering the earth for another five months or specifically 150 days. Noah and his family have been on the ark with all these animals for six months at this point. Six months! Do you remember the first few months of the coronavirus pandemic? So many of us were on lockdown and restricted from work and school and just everyday normal activities. But at least you weren't stuck on a boat with just your family and a few thousand animals to take care of. Do you wonder if Noah ever questioned God during this time? Did he ever think God had forgotten him? Or God had decided that this was how Noah's life would be, just floating around on a boat with animals? We don't know. But when we get to chapter 8, verse 1 tells us this. But God remembered Noah and every beast and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. See, God didn't forget. He had been faithfully watching over this situation from the moment he shut the door to the ark. It's been six months, but God has not forgotten. And verse 1 continues with this by saying, And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters abated, and the waters returned from the earth, returning continually, and at the end of 150 days, the waters were diminished. So the writer of Genesis gives us some months and days to mark a few key events. These don't line up perfectly with our calendar, because the ancient world used a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar like we do, but it's close. It says in the seventh month, on the 17th day of that month, the ark came to rest. Now, way back in chapter 7, verse 11, we saw that the rain started on the 17th day of the second month. So given that our current months are 28, 30, or 31 days long, and it's been about six months, these numbers add up so far. Noah's been on this ark about six months, and the ark has found a place to rest. And God has not forgotten them. So verse 5 of chapter 8 says, And the waters, they diminish continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the heads of the mountains were seen, and it happened at the end of 40 days, that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he let out a raven, and it went out, going out and returning, until the drying up of the waters from the earth. So the boat comes to rest in the seventh month, but it's not until the 10th month 
that the tops of the mountains can even be seen. And what number pops up again? At the end of 40 days, Noah opens the window and lets out a raven. Now, I don't know how the people on the ark felt, but if I'd been on an ark with thousands of animals for six months and it finally came to rest on a mountain, and then I waited three more months until I can even see other mountaintops and another 40 days of waiting for the window to be open, I might be considering that a trial period for sure. That sounds like a long time and really difficult. This could not have been an easy situation to live in and deal with. But Noah lets out the raven, and the Bible says the raven was, it was like the water. It came and it went. I think the raven was feeding on carcasses floating in the water, and at some point, it probably just doesn't return. So next, Noah sends out a dove. But the dove can't find a place to land, and doves don't eat carcasses, so Noah waits seven days and sends the dove again. The dove returns with an olive branch. No one knows it's getting close because the branch means that some of the trees have cleared the water line. So he waits another seven days and sends the dove out again. This time it doesn't return. But let's pay attention to this repeated use of the number seven. And again, I'll circle back to the numbers in just a few minutes. Let's read a few more verses. We'll start in verse 13, where it says, And then it happened, in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters dried away from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and he looked, and lo, the face of the ground had dried off. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried out. And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and the wives of your sons with you, all living things that are with you, of all flesh, of all flying things and of the cattle and the darting things that dart about on the earth. Bring them out with you and let them swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply over the earth. Freedom. Noah is off the ark. Now the story isn't over. What happens next is really important, but before we get there... I want to talk about these numbers and why they're significant. The Bible is full of some pretty cool literary patterns that we don't always catch in English. They're more obvious in Hebrew, but even in Hebrew, sometimes they're a bit hidden. And one of these literary patterns is called a chiastic structure. It's harder to explain with audio and no visual support, but I'm going to give it my best shot for you today. I want you to imagine a ladder with equal rungs on both sides. Got your ladder in mind? So imagine there's four rungs going up to the high point of the ladder and then four rungs going down. This is a good visual of a chiastic structure. There's a chiastic structure hidden in plain sight in the story of the flood. So hold that ladder image in your mind. Okay, if we go up the ladder, here are the rungs. Each rung is a number that was used in the flood narrative. Ready? The first rung is the number seven. The second is also seven, and then 40, and then 150. Now we're at the top, and back down we go. 150, 40, seven, and seven. You got it? That was seven, seven, 40, 150, 150, 40, seven, seven. Okay, let's put some context to that. The first seven was way back in chapter seven, verse four, when God said there would be seven days waiting for the flood. 
Then the author tells us in verse 10 that indeed God sent rain seven days later. So number seven is repeated twice, both in reference to the days until the flood comes. The number 40 comes from the days it rained. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is our third number, seven, seven, 40. Then after 40 days, we read a few minutes ago that the ark floated on the earth for 150 days. This is verse 24 of chapter 7. Now we've reached the last rung going up the ladder. And chapter 8, verse 1 is the top or the pinnacle of the ladder where it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the cattle that were with him in the ark. Now we're going to head back down the ladder. A few verses later, the number 150 is repeated again. Verse 3 says, And the waters returned from the earth, returning continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters were diminished. It's repetitive. We've already been told this, but it's on purpose. It's chiastic. We went up the ladder with 7, 7, 40, 150. At the pinnacle, we're told God remembered Noah. Now we come back down. 150 is repeated. And then in verse 6, And it happened at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. So there's our second mention of 40. And then we have the dove going out, but coming back because there's no place to rest. So Noah waits seven days and send the dove again. This time she brings an olive branch back. So he waits a second seven days, then lets her out again. She doesn't return. The flood is over. And these are our last two rungs, seven and seven, mirroring our first two rungs going up the ladder. Seven days until the flood. Repeated, seven days until the flood. 40 days of rain, 150 days of floating. God remembered Noah. 150 days of floating repeated, 40 days of waiting, seven days after releasing the dove, seven days after releasing the dove, seven, seven, 40, 150, God remembered, 150, 40, seven, seven. This is an intentional pattern of the narrator of the story. This type of writing is found all throughout the Old Testament. It was a very common way of storytelling, and it's extremely evident in many Psalms if you read them carefully. And if you know Hebrew, which I don't, but lots of smart people that I read do. Jesus used chiastic structures in his teaching as well. It's a really helpful technique for people who are illiterate. It helps them remember the story because of the pattern. And so if you do all this math with all these numbers that you find in Genesis 7 and 8, you find that Noah and his family were on the ark for a full year. Noah gets off the ark and he's 601 years old. So let's pick back up in verse 15 of chapter 8. I read a few of these verses already, but I'm going to repeat them and go a little further. And God spoke to Noah saying, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and the wives of your sons with you, all living things that are with you of all flesh, the flying things and of the cattle and of the darting things that dart about on the earth, bring them out with you and let them swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply over the earth. And Noah went out and his sons and his wife and the wives of his sons with him, all living things, all darting things and all flying things, all that darts about on the earth after their families went out of the ark. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took all the clean cattle and of all the clean flying things and he made a burnt offering ascend on the altar. And the Lord smelled the sweet savor, a savor of rest. And the Lord said in his heart, 
I will no more invoke woe upon the ground because of man, though the imagining of man's heart is evil from his youth, and no more will I slay all the living things as I did. Never again, all the days of the earth shall see seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night ever cease. So did you catch what Noah did as soon as he got off the ark? He immediately built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed clean animals. The clean animals were of great value to Noah. He had originally had seven pairs of each, and we don't actually know if the animals hibernated on the ark or if they were awake and potentially reproduced. But even if the cattle had reproduced, it wouldn't have produced very many more within a year. So Noah is giving up a portion of what he will need to start over on earth. And isn't that what a sacrifice is? Giving of something that is valuable? After a year of floating on an ark with just his family and a few thousand animals, Noah steps off, not frustrated, not impatient, not discouraged, not angry, but thankful. And in a spirit of worship, he immediately makes a sacrifice to God. Now, in the Hebrew, within these verses about the sacrifice is a play on words. The translation I read says, And the Lord smelled the sweet savor, a savor of rest. Most translations change this to make it a little bit more readable in English. But if you do that, you might lose some of the wordplay. For example, the Net 2 version says, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. The Holman Christian Standard says, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, these are accurate ways of convening this, but when scrutinized closely, the Hebrew phrase has this idea of a savor of rest, and conveniently, Noah's name means rest. That's why translations use words like pleasing or soothing, but if you do that, you miss the nuance here. So I guess you could literally say that Noah's sacrifice induces Noah for the Lord. Okay, so let's return to our big picture theme in the story of Noah. We're still on the hunt for the promised seed. In a really cool chiastic structure, we've been told this narrative of the flood and how God preserves one and his family because of his faithfulness. Back in Genesis 3.15, God promised the seed of Adam would come and that offspring would crush the head of the serpent. And so far, Noah's looking pretty promising. This guy has done everything right and has obeyed God fully. He and his family are the only ones to survive a worldwide catastrophic flood brought on by God to wipe out the evil and wickedness on the earth. And after a year of floating on a boat with thousands of animals, he gets off and immediately sacrifices in worship to God. He's got all the right characteristics of the promised seed. Unfortunately, Noah's story isn't over. It takes a different turn in chapter 9, but today we're going to leave things right here. Noah's faith, Noah's obedience, Noah's attitude during the flood story are all things to be admired and emulated. And God promised to never do what he did with the flood again. And for that, we can be thankful. But like Noah, we live in a wicked and depraved world. Like Noah, we are called to obey God even if our culture rejects him. Noah wasn't the one to crush the head of the serpent, but he is a foreshadow of the one who will come. We can look back and know that Jesus was the seed. 
Jesus has come, the serpent's head has been crushed, and although for a time it appears that the world is still influenced by Satan, a day is coming when Jesus will return and make all things new. Do we reflect Jesus like Noah projected him? That is our calling. That is the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm so thankful God didn't call me to live on a boat with just my family, although I do love them, and a few thousand animals for a full year. He's called me to do some other challenging things. And so I want to be faithful like Noah, living in obedience to God's calling. I hope the story of the flood has inspired you to do the same. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.